Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. We turn our attention to the markets this week. U.S. CPI numbers reinforcing concerns about inflation. The financial stories that shape our world. A really different reaction to the markets. More indications of just how hot the U.S. economy really is. Through the eyes of the most influential voices. Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary. Catherine Keating, CEO of BNY Mellon Samzell, chairman and founder of Equity Group Investment. Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Hoping for better days, but not before we get through the fear of more gun violence, of keeping our democracy safe, and of a recession. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. This week, special contributor Larry Summers on just how bad that recession could get and whether there could be something worse coming. I still do think we have a meaningful amount of inflation that we have to get out of the system. And Rick Reeder of BlackRock on how we could use the expected downturn to make sure we come back stronger. It's a very challenging period to think through when you're trying to evaluate risk versus reward. This week, there was a lot of talk about what could go wrong in Ukraine as European leaders like Italy's Mario Draghi traveled to Kyiv to say Ukraine should join the European Union. To this purpose, I want to say today that the most important message of our visit is that Italy wants Ukraine in the European Union. While in the United States, concerns over more gun violence led Republicans and Democrats finally to come together on gun legislation, driven, as Republican Senator Cornyn explained, by constituents demanding action. Since the shooting my office has received, as I'm sure many other members of Congress have, I've received tens of thousands of calls and letters and emails with a singular message, do something. Even as the Supreme Court came down with a landmark decision striking down as unconstitutional New York's license requirement for carrying concealed weapons. Having a gun out in the open is like 
It's incendiary. It will only add to fear. It will only add to conflict and the potential for violence. And when Congress wasn't doing something to address people's fears about guns, it was investigating a day when lawmakers feared for their own safety as rioters came within feet of Vice President Pence. Approximately 40 feet. That's all there was between the vice president and the mob. But the fear most investors were talking about was the fear of recession, as Fed Chair Powell traveled to Capitol Hill to say it was possible, but not inevitable. It's not our intended uh, outcome at all, but it's certainly a possibility. And many investors said it was more than just possible. A recession is inevitable at some point. It's almost unavoidable. I gotta think that the odds are that there's gonna be a recession. Our economists, as you've noted, this morning have increased their odds of a recession this year. This inflation is quite bad. It's, it's intransigent, it's not transitory, and the, uh, the, the, the consequence will be a recession. And if all that weren't enough, on Friday, the Supreme Court came down with its monumental decision overturning 50 years of precedent, deciding the Constitution does not protect any right to abortion, something President Biden called a tragic mistake. Today, the Supreme Court of the United States expressly took away a constitutional right from the American people that it had already recognized. They didn't limit it. They simply took it away. That's never been done to a right so important to so many Americans. But they did it. It's a sad day for the court and for the country. While Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy found it the ultimate affirmation of American values. The voiceless will finally have a voice. This great nation can now live up to its core principle that all are created equal, not born equal created equal. And a good part of American business was quick to respond, with companies like Amazon, Apple, Disney, and J.P. Morgan pledging to do all that they could to support their employees getting abortions in states that still permit them. Here to sort through it all with us are Jim McDonald, Northern Trust's chief investment strategist, and Christina Hooper, chief global strategist at Invesco. So welcome, Jim and Christina. Great to have you here. Christina, let me start with you on what happened with bond yields, because they had been really ramping up. There'd been a lot of volatility. They settled down a bit today, this week. Is that because of a fear of recession? I do think that it is, we, what we're seeing is concerns about at least a slowdown. I don't know if it's exactly a recession. I would argue that we'll still be able to avoid a recession in the United States. And one could argue that that's what the bond market is telling us. So, so Jimmy, isn't that exactly what the Fed wants, is a slowdown, maybe short of a recession? Absolutely. And so I think the softness in commodity prices in recent days has also contributed to the moderation and bond yields. And the Fed has tightened financial conditions dramatically. And all you have to do is look at what's happened to uh, mortgage rates and the impact on the housing market that that is starting to have to understand that the Fed's impact is already starting to make a difference. Well, I wonder, Christina, we got uh, University of Michigan uh, consumer sentiment numbers out on Friday, and they came off a little bit, actually, on the longer-term five- to ten-year expectation on inflation. Are we starting to see some effect of the Fed, do you think? I do think we are. I mean, but we're also just starting to see a reflection of some commodity prices, energy prices uh, easing a bit in the last several weeks. So I think that is reflected in it. I mean, Jay Powell even said in, in that FOMC press conference that there is a pretty strong correlation between energy prices, headline CPI essentially, and inflation expectations for consumers. Jim, how much of the concern about inflation actually comes right off of energy, just straight off of energy? 
I think it's extremely high. I think if you look at the correlation between gas prices and the Michigan survey, it's really high. It's the most visible demonstration of what energy costs are to the consumer. And so I think it's going to be a critical point to inflation expectations and bond yields over the next year that we see at least a flattening, if not some moderation, in gasoline prices. Okay, Christina Hooper of Invesco and Jim McDonald of Northern Trust will stay with us as we take, take a look at the markets at what they did to us last week as opposed to what they can do for us next week. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Everyone's looking at housing and saying it's too high priced and labor costs too much and the materials are too much and the land is too much. And they all sit there and they say, isn't that terrible? What are they going to do about it? 
That was Pierre Rinfred on, of Rinfred Boston appearing on Wall Street Week way back in 1976. And it looks like we are back to some version of that world again with higher prices and higher input costs for housing. But a slowing economy and Fed Chair Jay Powell told us this week a slowing housing market as well. Still with us are Christina Hooper of Invesco and Jim McDonald of Northern Trust. Jim, this is exactly where you left us off on the housing market. We heard Jay Powell this week say, yes, it is slowing. We could even have housing prices go down, at least in some markets. How big a drag, potentially, even a danger for the economy is the housing market? I think the danger is more from the volume standpoint than it is from the price standpoint. If you think about housing today, it's about four and a half percent of the economy. It got to six and a half during the bubble. So we're nowhere close to that level of uh, an impact. And what I think will provide some cushion to the downside on prices is that inventory is incredibly low. Vacancies are very low. So while the jump in mortgage rates really hurts affordability, there is just a mismatch between demand and supply that I think will put uh, some downside underneath prices. And, and I think it's going to take a long time to work through that and get to the point where supply meets demand, especially given all the supply chain issues we're currently experiencing. It's just not an environment in which we're going to see a lot of homes built, especially first-time home buyers' homes. So, Christina, give us a little investment advice here, <laughs> right? That's what we really want. We're saying uh, we're, we're clearly going into a downturn. We mm -hmm. don't know how bad it'll be. At the same time, we know we'll come out of it at some point. As an investor, what do I do in the short intermediate term to make sure I'm protected? But as important, perhaps more important, what do I do to position myself to come out of that downturn stronger than ever? Well, I think it's a great question. I think it's great to look at it essentially in two phases. Because what we're experiencing right now is this significant drop in the stock market and actually a significant stop, a drop for some fixed income. Um, and what has driven that is expectations about uh, an economic slowdown, whether or not it's an actual recession, a slowdown. We know that markets tend to signal economic events before they happen. So I think that before long, certainly before the end of the year, we'll start to see a start stock market recovery in anticipation of an economic recovery next year. And so I think we have to keep that in mind. Too often, investors have gotten spooked. Look at the global financial crisis, how many people got out towards the bottom, locked in losses, think it's critical to be forward-looking. And think of this time frame as actually a time to start um, looking for opportunities, uh, to start dollar cost averaging. I think you want, over the shorter term, to have a pretty neutral stance when it comes to risk, but start to look and start to allocate for that recovery, because the recovery, uh, I think, is going to be longer lived than the downturn. Jim, right now, a lot of people are talking about high yield because of the returns you're getting on high yield right now. What, over 7%, maybe 8%, something like that? Is that a yep. place we want to be right now? I think it is, and if you want to be defensive in this environment, uh, high-yield bonds provide about one-third of the downside risk that equities do. And an important distinction is, do you think of high-yield as a fixed-income alternative or a risk-asset alternative? And we think of it as a risk-asset alternative. So if we go into recession, high-yield bonds on average have declined just 4.5% uh, during the past six recessions, whereas U.S. equities are down over 12 and you're getting a current yield to worst of roughly eight and a half percent. So when people say, how can you buy high yield bonds if we're going into a recession? The answer is, 
if you're trading out of equities into them, it's a less offensive position, but you don't want to trade out of investment grade bonds into a high yield if you expect we're going to go into recession because investment grade bonds have historically done very well in that environment. So Jim, what about that defensives in equities? Yeah, so the one uh, nuance I would add to that is that we still like the natural resources sector, commodities-oriented, energy stocks, for example. They're a nice hedge against our number one risk case, which is sticky inflation. We don't know when these supply chain problems are going to get fixed. You keep hearing about more issues in the energy patch. For example, what's going on in the Ukraine and the big uh, steel production facility in Mariupol that is probably shut down, and so they're not able to provide the steel tubing that goes in to uh, oil exploration. All of those things tell us we want to have some hedge in uh, energy, and uh, we do like technology. That's a recent upgrade for us for the secular growth reasons. We expect technology to grow its share of GDP over the next decade by roughly double. Well, now that's really interesting because there's sort of the bloom has been off the rose of a lot of technology recently after a really great run, sort of come off again. Where are you in technology, Christina? I'm very positive on technology. Now, I think we need to be selective. Yeah. We want to stay away from what I would call spec tech, which was actually the first leg of technology to fall. But there are a lot of great names in that space, some of which look like very good buys right now, um, given where valuations are and given strong cash flow, just solid fundamentals in general. And Christina, what about the longer-term trends, again, coming out of uh, whatever downturn there is here? What do you think is promising? Are we talking about things like uh, uh, green energy? Uh, what are we talking about? So I certainly think there are a lot of different themes that are very exciting. Some are smaller than others. Uh, green energy is certainly one of them. Cybersecurity is one of them. But I think I would take a step back and say the bigger picture is that we're returning to a more normal environment. And when I say no more normal, more normal relative to longer term history. Uh, Jim, more normal certainly sounds pretty good to me right now. Uh, at the same time, how much of that depends upon the Fed not overreacting? Because some people say the Fed's had a really big big say in the markets thus far. Uh, getting back to neutral fine, a little above neutral fine, but if we're really going well above that to four or five percent, what is that going to do? Yeah, so I would define overreacting a little differently. I would say that if they end up doing that, it's because inflation has proven to be more persistent, and so their action is actually justified. And that is not going to be a good circumstance for the market. If you think about bear markets, there really are three categories. An event-driven one, which is the least damaging. Secondly, you can have one that is more cyclical-oriented. And then you could have one that's driven by a financial crisis where credit creation is uh, impaled. If the Fed hikes rates too much, we're definitely going to go from what's an event-driven to a cyclical type of recovery. But if you look at the Fed uh, stress test results over the last uh, 24 hours, uh, the banking system's in really good shape. So we are uh, very unlikely to get into a structural bear market, which can be really damage. Okay, that's pretty encouraging to me. I'll take that to the bank. No question about it. Really appreciate Jim McDonald of Northern Trust and Christina Hooper of Avesco being with us here today to really give us an insight into what the markets have done, but also what they're likely to do in the future. Coming up, we know things are rough and likely to get rougher, but what can investors and policymakers do to make sure we come back stronger than ever when things do turn around? We ask Rick Reeder of BlackRock. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. 
we can disagree about just how bad it will get. There's a chance that we are already in a recession. Is it severe? Is it drawn out? The shallow recession versus a deep one. There's nothing inevitable about a recession. But no one can deny at this point that the economy will slow. Well, I expect the economy to slow. Oh, it's been growing at a very rapid rate. It's natural now that we expect a transition to steady and stable growth. And the markets could continue to fall, at least for a while. We've done a lot of price damage, right? We, we want to be investing into the price damage, but we think it's premature if the risk of recession is still increasing. But however bad it gets, and however long it lasts, things will come back, raising the question, what have we learned from the experience, both in the policies we adopt? My most important advice to the administration is don't do anything to shock the economy. And in the way we invest. I think we're going to see a lot more investors remain on the sidelines, remain cautiously positioned, and that actually may lead to some interesting opportunities for longer-term investors. And to take us through where we are, and more important, where we are headed, we welcome now Rick Reeder. He is the CIO for Global Fixed Income and also head of the Global Allocation Team at BlackRock. Rick, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So before we start about how we come out of this stronger, let's talk about where we are right now. Where are we? Listen, I mean, uh, for markets and for the economy, we're in one of the most uncertain periods we've been in a long time, and well, quite frankly, in a generation. We have never had an experience where our economy is tangibly slowing across almost every piece of data economy is slowing. You're starting to see it work through in the claims data and the unemployment data. And we think over the next couple of employment reports, you're going to see an economy or a hiring dynamic that's different. And you've got a central bank that's got as its singular focus today, despite the fact its dual mandate is full employment and price stability, that has got to bring down inflation. So it is a construct that the markets have a hard time dealing with. How much will they let the economy go? How much with inflation, which we think will come down? You're seeing, you're certainly seeing indications of that. You're seeing in the market's pricing of it. So it's a very challenging period to think through when you're trying to evaluate risk versus reward. What are interest rates doing in a portfolio? What are stocks? high yield bonds doing a portfolio and uh, I think the markets haven't reconciled the solution to that yet. And how much of that is the markets and the underlying economy and how much of it is policy? I know that BlackRock has a terrific chart basically indicating, it surprised me, in recent years the volatility in monetary policy has driven the investments more than the investments have. So David, it's, an, it's a pretty incredible thing and part of what we're trying to illustrate on this report is if you've been investing 20 years ago, 10 years ago, it was all about the central bank's reaction function to the economy and how the central bank would react when inflation or employment moved too far away from normalcy. The last 10 years, and certainly anybody we've hired or worked for us that's been there 10 years, has been an environment where the central banks are functionally all you have to focus on because they are driving the dynamic around how prices are moving. Why is that the case? I mean, listen, you need aggressive monetary policy. When you go through a financial crisis or you go through a pandemic, you need aggressive policy. But there's been this process of tweaking to get back on the line that I would argue is creating more volatility to markets. You know, we, I would argue, including this central bank, including the Fed, we need to get to neutral quickly. Get to neutral, the system has an ability to, to recalibrate itself, be flexible. I would say high prices are the cure for high prices. The U.S. economy is incredibly adaptive, and you're seeing it. It was a good article uh, today about, you know, you look at gas prices higher, consumption comes down. The system recalibrates. 
but we've become used to the central bank is kind of trying to put us back on a line of 2% inflation and full employment. And I would argue it's actually creating more volatility at times than is warranted by how much the economy actually uh, actually gyrates. When you say get back to no neutral, we heard from uh, Chair Jay Powell in his testimony before Congress this week saying he still thinks neutral is around 2.5%. But even he is saying now we may need to go above that. You have other people saying we need to go way above it in order to yeah. really put a stake through the heart of inflation. Is that wrong? Listen, I don't think you have to go way above it. I think the chair is right. And I think what they're doing now is exactly the right policy. I know, I've, you know I and others have been critical about we waited too long to move, and I think the Fed has been clear on that being the case. But there's a question of what is the trade-off from if you get to neutral and get a bit beyond. We shouldn't be at easy policy like we are today. Get to neutral. Do another 75. Get closer to neutral. Maybe do a 50 on the back side of that. You know, you think about what you could do, fiscal policy, solar, battery. You've seen some developments recently. What you could do on precision ag to help the food market, multifamily housing incentives to build more multifamily. Housing affordability is really hard, is really uh, expensive today. Multifamily is going to be people are going to stay in rental. We need more development of multifamily. These are fiscal initiatives that need to come in and can be, and by the way, have a real velocity to them, create multiplicative economic impacts. Just, raise, just keep raising rates and taking people out of work. It's a blunt tool, and maybe it doesn't work, and maybe it doesn't bring the inflation down. I just don't agree. Okay, Rick, thank you so much. That's uh, Rick Reeder, BlackRock. Always great to talk to Rick. Coming up, we wrap up the week with our special contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Street Week. I'm David Weston, and we welcome back once again our very special contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. So, Larry, a good part of the week this week was given over to talk about recession on the one hand and inflation on the other. We heard from Fed Chair Jay Powell for two straight days up on Capitol Hill. Let me ask you the most basic question. As you look forward to the economy, what do you think the biggest risk is right now we face? Look, I think, David, that a recession is almost inevitable. Uh, probably a 75%, 80% chance within the next two years, and there's certainly a real risk uh, that it will come uh, sooner. That's going to be a very difficult thing, though, as I say, I think it may be inevitable given where we are. But I think it's going to be very important to make sure that if we're going to go through a period of pain, we do slay the inflation dragon. You know, there have been many failures, particularly the 1970s are the classic example of where economic policymakers did the equivalent of stopping their antibiotic when they felt better, but before the 10-day dose uh, was through. And so it's a very, very difficult set of balances and challenges uh, that the Fed's going to have, and I very much hope that uh, they make uh, wise choices. So, so I take your point that the only thing worse than having a recession is having one without slaying the inflation dragon, as you say. But let me ask you, at this point, some people are predicting this will be a fairly short and shallow one. Do we have reason to believe that? I hope they're, I hope they're right. Um, I think the question's going to be how much uh, recession do you, how much recession is going to be part of eliminating inflation, and that goes back to the whole debate about team transitory. If most of inflation is transitory, then we're not going to have to live with very much pain to uh, get the inflation out of the system. If more of it is more ingrained, then we're going to have to live with uh, more difficulty. I was mildly encouraged by the number that came out today suggesting that long-term inflation expectations, uh, as measured in Michigan, had gone up a little less than people originally thought. But I still do think we have a meaningful amount of inflation that we have to uh, get out of the system. And I don't think we're going to do that in one or two uh, quarters of economic uh, slack. One of the things that uh, Chair Powell testified about this week was neutral rate that he still thinks is about 2.5%. I wonder if you agree with that. And then going on to say we may have to go somewhat over that. Some people think he has to go well over that. Where are you? Look, I think that talking about the neutral rate without talking about the rate of inflation is basically illogical. And so when he says the neutral rate is 2.5%, he's assuming that the inflation rate will be 2%, which I don't think 
is to be assumed uh, without the right kinds of policies. So my guess is we're going to have to go well above 2.5% on uh, interest rates. Ultimately, in the long run, when we get through this inflation uh, episode, I think there's a substantial chance that we're going to return to the kind of secular stagnation situation we had before COVID, which could mean a neutral rate below uh, 2.5%. So I think we're going to have to be very careful and uh, monitor to track track what's happening. But I wish Chairman Powell would start framing the neutral rate as a real interest rate concept Mm -hmm. that at any moment is dependent on the underlying rate of inflation and stop just using a nominal figure that assumes so much of what is at issue. Staying with Chair Powell's testimony again, he also testified a fair amount on both days of the hearings, actually, about the housing industry and the fact that necessarily the increased rates are hurting the housing industry. He even suggested that at least in some places in the country, we may have housing prices go down. How big a threat is that to the economy? Because that is something we saw back during the great financial crisis. I think we're in a much less precarious situation in housing than we were during the great financial crisis. But house prices have run way up, and I wouldn't be surprised, given what's happened to uh, mortgage rates, if at least in many parts of the country there was some uh, backtracking of house prices. My assessment is that that's not going to pose the kind of systemic financial risk uh, that it did during the great uh, financial uh, crisis. But as is all always true when there's excess, the people who get in last um, find it expensive. Uh, Larry, quite beyond any testimony up on Capitol Hill, we also had two very dramatic uh, opinions come down from the Supreme Court of the United States. I know that you're not a constitutional lawyer, at least not that I'm aware of. At the same time, I wonder what you think about that decision with respect to the Second Amendment and guns, and also then at the end of the week with respect to abortion. You have talked on this program before about your concerns about the institutions of democracy in this country. I'm worried about a Supreme Court that so radically breaks with its own precedent that is so fully in uh, the life of the country. And I wonder if that doesn't raise questions more broadly about the predictability and continuity of uh, policy, the extent to which there are very strong checks and balances uh, in our uh, democracy. By my personal values, uh, both these uh, decisions uh, were appalling. but. You know, everyone has their uh, values, and there are other people who would have very different values. What I think is, in some ways, the more fundamental issue is this question of reversing precedent and uh, mandating um, things that have really not been. Um, acceptable for uh, many, for uh, many, many uh, years. I can't help but feel that the decision that 
it's illegal and unconstitutional to stop people from carrying uh, concealed weapons. Uh, that goes a long, long uh, way uh, for uh, for me. And I think Roe v. Wade has been so much part of American life that uh, to remove it completely in, in the way they did uh, with a divide, completely divided court is a kind of uh, fairly shocking act. And I say that as someone who believes very much in uh, deference uh, to the court. I was not one of those who attacked the court for the Bush v. Gore decision, though it was not a decision I liked or supported. I was not one who was prepared to attack the court for the decision they made in Citizens United, uh, the case about corporate uh, funding of politics, though that was a decision that I didn't like. Larry, thank you so very much. That's our special contributor, Larry Summers. He is, of course, from Harvard University and also an avid golfer. Finally, one more thought. Everything old is new again. We have had more than our fair share of historic moments these past few years. From a once-in-a-century pandemic... It is ten times more lethal than the seasonal flu. ...to an economy falling off a cliff and then bouncing right back again. The strongest economic recovery in the world. ...to a ground war in Europe, the likes of which we have not seen since World War II. This crisis directly affects every member of this council and every country in the world and inflation higher than it's been in at least 40 years. Inflation is hitting people so hard, they're coughing up bones. If all that weren't enough, now we have the return of labor unions and even of strikes. As this week, Great Britain saw unions shut down part of its rail system. Britain's biggest rail strike in 30 years starts today after unions rejected a last-minute offer from train companies. Bringing back more memories of the 1980s and British Prime Minister Thatcher's uncompromising stand. What we have seen in this country is the emergence of an organized revolutionary minority who are prepared to exploit industrial disputes but whose real aim is the breakdown of law and order and the destruction of democratic parliamentary government. But now, 40 years later, the move back toward unions involves businesses that we didn't even conceive of in Lady Thatcher's day. Now it's our half-calf, no-foam lattes that could be at risk as Starbucks baristas move to organize. Starbucks has now lost several rounds of this legal fight at the labor board. And then there's the question of who's going to fix our iPhones if the people at the Apple Genius Bar all join the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, a trend that a former NLRB chairman says is far from over. Well, I think it's likely that it will happen at... Uh many more uh, stores. We don't know really how many uh, it's likely to be, but uh, clearly something is happening. It may be no coincidence that what we're seeing today comes at a time when we have a president deeply committed to organized labor. I'm proud of it. Look, you know, workers have a right to determine under what conditions they're going to work or not work. But then again, back in the 80s, when things went too far, we managed to do without our air traffic controllers albeit with a very different president. If they do not report for work within 48 hours, they have forfeited their jobs and will be terminated. 
That does it for this episode of Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. This is Bloomberg. See you next week. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.